Attention lovers of mysteries, I certainly count myself as one. In recent years, I've become flat-out addicted to British and Scottish mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. And the natural extension of those is a game that allows me to experience the mystery instead of just reading it or watching it. Don your own detective hat in June's Journey, a free, hidden-object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. It's set in the glitz and glamour of the Roaring Twenties, and you play as June, deciphering clues and uncovering secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. New chapters are added to the game each week, and you can personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. Download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The great Apache leader Cochise asked for an allowance of 10 days. He said 10 days would be enough to track down the missing boy. Lieutenant George Bascom of the United States Army listened to Cochise's request, but didn't buy it. Bascom, a young officer only a few years out of West Point, grappled with what to do next. The two sat in an army tent in the high grasslands and mesquites of the Sonoran Desert, deep in Apache country. The missing boy's father translated Bascom's reply from English to Spanish. The answer took Cochise completely by surprise. The lieutenant had just said he was taking Cochise hostage. Cochise tried to rush out of the tent, but he was blocked by soldiers. He grabbed his knife and then cut his way out of the back of the tent. The soldiers outside were shocked to see the Apache leader burst out of the tent. Bascom shouted at them to fire. 50 rounds flew at Cochise. Somehow, only one hit him in the leg. Hobbled and injured, Cochise scrambled up a ridge above the army camp. He had escaped, but somewhere down below, the soldiers held his wife and his son and his brother. As the Americans looked up at him, Cochise shouted that he wanted his family back. Lieutenant Bascom said no. And now, all he could do was wait as Cochise disappeared into the hills. When the Apache leader returned, he would have many more warriors with him. 24-year-old George Bascom had inadvertently started a war with the fiercest opponent he would ever meet. From Black Barrel Media, this is Legends of the Old West. I'm your host, Chris Wimmer, and this is a four-part series about one of the longest conflicts in American history, the Apache Wars. This is episode two, The Bascom Affair. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples, especially at this time of year when I'm getting crushed by allergies. In Arizona, we have these wonderful trees called Palo Verde trees. They have yellow flowers that look nice, but produce yellow pollen that makes me cough and sneeze and makes my eyes so itchy I almost can't stand it. Luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. 
Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Early in 1861, an Apache raiding party descended on a small ranch along the Senoida Creek in Arizona. The Apaches took what they could, including a young boy named Felix Ward. Felix's father, John, immediately went to the U.S. Army for help. The Army placed the blame squarely on Cochise and wasted little time tracking him down. One American general soon called Cochise the worst of all Apaches. Cochise was born in 1810 to a leader of the Chiricahua Apache. His people lived in the Dragoon and Chiricahua Mountains of southeastern Arizona. They frequently traveled into New Mexico and the Sierra Madre. In addition to his important lineage, Cochise also inherited a distinct physical feature. He was named for his prominent Roman nose. In his Apache dialect, his name was Gochi, which meant his nose. But others called him Cheese. Eventually, most settled into calling him a combination of the two, Cochise. Cochise was raised to believe in the spiritual world around his people, including the life giver and the white painted woman. Like the great leader of the previous generation, Mangus Coloradus, Cochise also heard legends and stories about the trickster coyote, a mythical creature meant to teach children about the impact of lies. When he turned five or six, Cochise received special training as the son of the leader. A year or so later, he received his first lessons in horseback riding and hunting small game. He grew into a physically powerful man who made an impression on those who met him. A local station master once described him this way, as fine a looking Indian as I ever saw. He was about six feet tall and as straight as an arrow, built from the ground up, as perfect as any man could be. The people of Cochise's band taught him to stay fit and strong and to move silently after his targets. In his teens, Cochise accompanied four raids to learn tactics and to gain the trust of his fellow warriors. During these exercises, Cochise wore a ceremonial hat for protection. His training ended just as tensions escalated with Mexico. His band subsisted for years on goods from the local Presidio. But when those rations dwindled, the Apache started raiding. Cochise earned his reputation during these efforts. Sometime in the late 1830s or early 1840s, Cochise married a daughter of Mangus Coloradus. He should have gone to live with her in the Apache tradition, but Cochise was too important to his band to leave. Cochise further distinguished himself as a warrior and leader during the Galeana campaign in 1846. He avenged his father, who had been murdered by James Kirker's mercenaries. And in doing so, he made it clear that he was second only to Mangus Coloradus as a fighter and a chief. But for all his success in war, Cochise also entertained peace. So it didn't come as a surprise when a stage driver approached Cochise at a regular campsite near Apache Pass. The stage driver had a message. An army lieutenant named George Bascom invited Cochise and his family to sit down for peace talks on February 3, 
1861. Lieutenant Bascom wasn't interested in peace. He was under orders to find a missing child. Twelve-year-old Felix Ward disappeared after an Apache raid on his adopted father's home. Felix's adopted father, John Ward, reported the kidnapping to Lieutenant Colonel Pitcairn Morrison at Fort Buchanan. Morrison assigned Lieutenant George Bascom to find the suspected Apaches and return the boy to his family. Bascom, a West Point graduate with great potential, found and then lost the Apache's trail. Then he turned his attention to Cochise in a place called Apache Springs. Apache Springs was a natural water source in an otherwise stark desert. Water from the springs trickled into a nearby canyon. It was not only a source for the Apache, but soon it was a source for the Butterfield Overland Stagecoach Line that serviced the Southwest. The Butterfield Stage Line placed a station near the springs. For a time, the Apache had a positive rapport with Butterfield employees. It was one of the Butterfield stage drivers who delivered Bascom's invitation to Cochise. On the appointed day, Cochise arrived with his wife, his son, and his brother. The soldiers sat down to eat inside a tent, and Bascom invited Cochise to join them. In the tent, Bascom began asking questions about the missing boy. The boy's adopted father translated the English questions into Spanish, a language Cochise knew well. Cochise said he didn't know where the boy was, but maybe another tribe of the Apache, the Coyotero, had him. After some length of discussion, Lieutenant Bascom issued the ultimatum. Cochise and his family would be held prisoner until the boy was returned to his family. As Cochise listened to the translation and the meaning of the words sank in, he turned to leave but found his way blocked by soldiers. Cochise drew his knife and sliced through the back of the tent. Bascom commanded his men to open fire. The missing boy's adopted father took a shot and hit Cochise in the leg. But Cochise made it out of the tent and scrambled up the side of the canyon. Injured and bleeding, he took cover behind boulders. The American camp erupted into chaos as the other Apache visitors tried to escape. They were rounded up and forced into a tent. During the commotion, Cochise had somehow clambered to the top of a ridge that overlooked the camp. He yelled down to Bascom. Cochise demanded the release of his family. Bascom answered by telling his men to unleash a volley of fire at Cochise. Cochise dove behind the boulders, and then the gravity of the situation dawned on Lieutenant Bascom. He and his men were exposed in Apache country. Reprisals were all but imminent. Bascom quickly told his men to pack up the camp and take shelter in the stage station. As they arranged their new stronghold, the soldiers saw Apache signal fires. The call had already gone out for Apache fighters to gather. Mangus Colorado showed up at the meeting with a detachment of warriors. Geronimo brought 20 more warriors. The White Mountain Apache arrived with support as well. They were all motivated to fight. Only a few weeks earlier, Mangus Colorado survived a lashing at the hands of miners in the Santa Rita del Cobre. They tied him to a tree and whipped him until he could barely walk. Then, the miners ridiculed him as he crawled away. Despite his advanced age, 
71 years old. Mangus Coloradus was still a proud warrior and he was ready to fight. The new Apache army, led by Cochise, Mangus Coloradus, and Geronimo, marched back to Apache Pass and took positions in the hills around the stage station. Cochise only wanted to get his family back and he asked for a meeting. Bascom agreed and Cochise and three warriors went down to the area around the station to talk to the lieutenant. But as the little group discussed terms, other Apache warriors flanked them. The Apaches grabbed a stage driver and Bascom's soldiers opened fire. John Ward, the adopted father of the missing boy, was shot during the skirmish. Cochise and his men ran to a ravine to avoid gunfire. Now, both sides had hostages and tensions rose. Cochise appeared the next day with the stage driver bound to a leash. But Lieutenant Bascom only wanted to bargain for the missing boy, not the stage driver. It was a death sentence for the driver. He was later found stabbed and mutilated. After the initial standoff with Bascom and the army, the Apaches focused their attention on the stagecoach route and a load of flour headed to the miners at Pinos Altos. They assigned Geronimo to lead the mission. He and his warriors captured three white men and then tied them up and forced them to watch as they lashed the Hispanic drivers. Then the Apaches burned the wagon. Not long after, the Apaches captured another wagon. Bascom and his troops were essentially trapped at the stage station. They were under siege, and they had no choice but to ask for help. Meanwhile, Cochise planned another strike on Bascom and his men. He would wait for the Americans to head to the springs for water and then attack. The men guarding Cochise's family would be distracted, and then the Apache warriors would free the family members. But one of Bascom's men, a sergeant, spotted the Apaches making their move. The sergeant told his men to get back from the springs. The Apaches shot at the soldiers as they moved away, and the sergeant was hit in the leg. Behind the walls of the stage station, Bascom was not fooled by Cochise's plan. He sent reinforcements to the men at the springs and held his position at the station. The soldiers responded to the assault with heavy gunfire and turned the Apaches back. Soon after, Cochise and his warriors in the hills around the station left the area. Lieutenant Isaiah Moore took over the station and decided to hang some of the Apache hostages. Moore outranked Bascom, so Bascom couldn't stop the senior officer. Six warriors were hanged, including Cochise's brother. The other Apache captives were forced to watch. The surviving captives were afraid to touch the bodies of the dead, so the six warriors were left to dangle from the tree. But there was a little ray of light for Cochise. His wife and his son were eventually released. This essentially marked the end of the events commonly called the Bascom Affair. But of course, it wasn't the end of the story for any of the players. In the months that followed, Cochise set out to disrupt the White Eyes, as they called them. He and his warriors attacked stage stations and forts, they ravaged the Santa Cruz Valley. They stole mules and cattle from Fort Buchanan. And Mangus Coloradus did the same near Pinos Altos. He raided and stole goods from Fort McLean. 
Later in 1861, a unique battle took a toll on the Americans. Cochise and his men attacked a Butterfield stagecoach. The ensuing battle lasted for three days and cost the lives of 20 Apache warriors, including one of Cochise's sons. The Apaches almost never suffered such heavy losses, so this was a shock. But ultimately, they killed all the stagecoach guards. The Apaches' success convinced the Americans it was time to abandon their posts. The soldiers left Fort Buchanan and burned what they couldn't take with them. Lieutenant George Bascom had gone to Fort Buchanan after his struggles with Cochise. He spoke very highly of himself in his reports, and he was eventually commended for his work. Civilians left the area too. Even John Ward, whose adopted son was still missing, abandoned his farm. But the changes weren't entirely due to the Apaches. This was 1861, and the Civil War had begun in the East, though it stretched all the way to New Mexico Territory. Both governments, Union and Confederate, wanted control of Arizona and New Mexico as a gateway to California. In February 1862, Lieutenant George Bascom was killed at the Battle of Valverde along the Rio Grande River in New Mexico. He didn't live to see the missing boy grow into manhood with the Apaches. That boy eventually became a legendary character in the history of the Southwest, the scout and manhunter known as Mickey Free. But at the moment, in the late summer of 1861, the Apaches were more focused on settling local scores than on the seismic problems in the East. Mangus Coloradus still wanted to get even with the miners at Pinos Altos for whipping him so viciously. So he called Cochise and his warriors to a meeting in the mountains north of Silver City, New Mexico. They made a plan, and in September of 1861, 200 warriors assaulted the mining camps. They divided their forces to attack the separate camps simultaneously. The Apaches went door to door and fought by hand. At first, they had surprise in their favor. But then a group called the Arizona Guards arrived and united with the surviving miners. Their combined force was able to push back the Apaches. The battle came at a huge cost to both sides. The Chiricahua Apache lost several prominent leaders, and the miners were so decimated they could not keep their operations going. Mangus Coloradus had completed his revenge. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. As the Civil War picked up steam, it created a new enemy for the Apache. 
The Union wanted control of the Southwest, just as bad as the Confederacy. Union Brigadier General James Carleton marched his California column across Arizona and into New Mexico. They marched at night, hoping to avoid the heat, and often traveled 20 miles per night. Union troops moved into the Southwest to fight the Confederates, not the Apaches. So Carleton sent a colonel to meet with Cochise at Apache Pass. The colonel asked for safe passage through the area and offered some tobacco as a gift. As the colonel and Cochise talked, Cochise's men brutalized and killed several Union soldiers. It was a continuation of hostilities from the Bascom affair, and it was also a message to the new Union troops that the Apaches were strong enemies. The Apaches also decided to take action based on the information they learned during the talks. Cochise's runners reached out to the other Chiricahua bands and soon recruited Mangus Coloradus and leaders of two other Apache tribes. The three leaders and their warriors joined Cochise and his men at Apache Pass to await their next move. Their next move came after the soldiers' next move. The 1st California Infantry had marched through the sludge of a recent downpour to reach Apache Pass. In short order, it was joined by the 2nd California Infantry. In July of 1862, the two companies set up at the old stage station where Lieutenant Bascom's men had been trapped the previous year. The California companies had two mountain howitzers, and the Apaches attacked those first. The Apaches killed one soldier and wounded two others who manned the cannons. The rest of the troops organized and returned fire. The soldiers forced the Apaches to disperse for the moment, but the troops had another problem. They had to secure the water source. A sergeant sent 20 men to try to capture the spring. The Apaches shot one soldier and forced the others to retreat. The soldiers regrouped, and the sergeant led a charge up a hill toward a base the Apaches had built. The Apaches fired at the soldiers, but their aim was off, and the sergeant and his men took the high ground. From that position, they were able to lay down suppressing fire and clear a path to the water source. Then some of the soldiers moved one of the howitzers into a better position. Apache riders charged at another group of soldiers, and one of the soldiers fired the shot that marked the beginning of the end. The soldier shot Mangus Coloradus. The wound was critical, maybe fatal. The sergeant led 150 men with the howitzers and fought off another Apache advance. At that point, Cochise was convinced it was over. The Apaches pulled back and then left the area. Mangus Coloradus was on the verge of death and the confidence of the Chiricahua Apache was shaken. The Battle of Apache Pass was done. Mangus Coloradus recovered from his wounds and realized that, at 72 years old, his fighting days were behind him. Peace was the best road forward. He sent word to General Carleton detailing his hopes, but Carleton was not impressed. At Pinos Altos, where Mangus Coloradus had once been savagely beaten by miners, he tried again to talk the Americans into peace. He reached out to a prospector named Jack Swilling. The Apaches respected Swilling because he was a fierce fighter and a skilled frontiersman. Mangus Coloradus probably thought of him as a kindred spirit, if not a man he could trust. 
Because Swilling had done a variety of things in Arizona, he'd been a miner, and an Arizona guardsman, and a Confederate soldier. He understood that sometimes temporary arrangements had to be made with enemies. Swilling also understood that he would have to barter with the Apaches to get safe passage on the roads. Outwardly, Swilling was hospitable to Mangus Coloradus, but inwardly he still raged over the carnage at Apache Pass. Many Apaches felt the same way toward white settlers and soldiers. Mangus Coloradus had to convince them that this meeting would be safe. Victorio, another great Apache warrior and close friend and admirer, didn't believe Mangus Coloradus and insisted on acting as a bodyguard. During the talks in January 1863, Victorio's fears proved valid. There's no clear account of the meeting, but it's possible that Mangus Coloradus and Victorio went to the gathering by themselves. If so, they would have been badly outnumbered. Jack Swilling's men pulled their guns. Swilling himself grabbed Mangus Coloradus. Mangus realized there was nothing to be done, and he waved off Victorio. The next day, the Americans marched Mangus Coloradus to Fort McLean. After decades of fighting, Mangus Coloradus now found himself in dire straits. Spanish, Mexican, and American soldiers had all failed to kill him. But that night, at Fort McLean, would be his last on earth. While Mangus Coloradus kept warm by the fire, two soldiers placed their bayonets in the flames until the metal was red hot. Then they seared Mangus Coloradus with the blades. When the Apache leader protested, the soldier shot him. Once, and then twice. A third shot, this one to the head, finally killed the Grey Warrior. Later, another soldier scalped the corpse. The remains of Mangus Coloradus were wrapped in a blanket and hastily buried in a ravine, and his body would be desecrated again. A regimental surgeon ordered that the body be exhumed. The surgeon severed the head and boiled the skin off it in a large kettle. The skull was donated to a phrenologist named Orson Fowler, who discussed it in an 1873 book entitled Human Science or Phrenology. The death and subsequent mutilation of Mangus Coloradus not only angered Cochise, it thrust him into a position of leadership. The loose consortium of Chiricahua Apache now looked to him for instruction. He decided to lead his people to Mexico. For a time, the Mexicans did little to organize resistance. But then a new garrison was built in the area in 1868. This new garrison brought new rules and ended the trading system between the Apaches and the Mexican soldiers. The Mexicans also brought back the reward system for scalp hunters. The Chiricahua Apache had little choice but to return to the United States. Almost immediately, Cochise resumed his raids in Arizona. Just as quickly, he and his warriors drew the attention of American troops at Fort Bowie. The two sides fought a small battle in October 1869 that ended in an American victory. After that, the Americans went on the offensive. But Cochise had already laid an ambush at a place called Tex Canyon, and he stopped the American momentum. It fell to Lieutenant Howard Cushing to pursue Cochise. 
Cushing distinguished himself in the Civil War, but was later suspended for poor behavior. He sought to restore his reputation in Arizona while taking command of Troop F of the 3rd Cavalry. Cushing whipped the troop into shape, and his soldiers were merciless in the field. They burned homes and destroyed food supplies and killed dozens of Apaches. Troop F took the Cochise assignment in April of 1871 and searched the valleys of southeastern Arizona. Cushing's column was easy to spot, and on one patrol, his soldiers noticed smoke signals in the distance. The Apaches knew they were there. As the column rode toward the smoke signals, Lieutenant Cushing made a grave error. He was studious by nature, and it took time to understand his enemies, but he hadn't learned enough. Cushing believed he was playing a game of cat and mouse with Cochise. In fact, Cushing and his men had engaged Geronimo and another Apache chief. The Apaches allowed Troop F to follow them into the Whetstone Mountains, about 20 miles from where a town called Tombstone would spring up a few years later. In the mountains, the Apaches ambushed the Americans. Troop F returned fire and drove the Apaches back into the rocks. But that only made the situation worse for the troopers. From that kind of cover, Geronimo and his warriors were deadly. They picked off members of Troop F one by one, including Lieutenant Cushing, who was killed in the fight. Most Americans believed Cochise killed Cushing, but Cochise wasn't there. He was in Mexico with about 60 warriors conducting sporadic raids. When he returned to Arizona, a white friend named Tom Jeffords visited him with an offer. Cochise had been invited to Washington, D.C. for peace talks. Cochise refused to leave his people, and he had good cause for concern. Tensions were rising between native peoples and settlers throughout Arizona, and those tensions exploded at Camp Grant around the same time that Geronimo nearly wiped out Troop F. Members of the Aravipa Apache tribe traveled to Camp Grant in search of peace with the Americans. The Aravipas settled near the camp and hoped to stay and farm. But their presence agitated both white settlers and the nearby Papago tribe who didn't trust the Apaches. In 1871, a mixed force of Papagos, American soldiers, and settlers gathered to attack the Aravipa camp. In the darkness before the sun rose, about 130 men, mostly Papagos, surrounded the camp. They rushed in during the pre-dawn hours and found mostly unarmed women and children because the Apache men had gone out on a hunt. In less than an hour, the mixed militia slaughtered 144 Apaches. All but eight were women and children. Afterward, the assailants scalped the majority of the dead. 30 surviving Apache children were taken to work in local households or sold into slavery in Mexico. The Camp Grant massacre garnered attention throughout the United States and prompted some politicians to reconsider what they called the Federal Indian Policy. They argued for more compassionate treatment of the Apache. But Cochise could not ignore the past or the increased military presence in Arizona. He stealthily avoided American troops by hiding in the Dragoon Mountains. Eventually, Cochise agreed to meet with Indian agents. 
The agents wanted Cochise and his Chiricahua to move to a reservation at a place called Tularosa. When Cochise heard the plan, he said no. He stated his case plainly. I do not want to go to Tularosa. That is a long ways off. The flies on those mountains eat out the eyes of the horses. The bad spirits live there. Cochise said his people would be happy to remain where they were currently living, but they would not relocate. To avoid forced relocation, Cochise ended up leaving his lands anyway. And soon after, other Chiricahua followed. Cochise was later spotted in Mexico, but when Mexicans destroyed some of the dwellings of another Apache chief, Cochise was convinced the area was no longer safe. He once again returned to the Dragoon Mountains of southeastern Arizona. There, Cochise orchestrated raids and trained his son Taza to succeed him in leadership. One such raid resulted in the death of a well-liked young army lieutenant. The murder further frustrated Lieutenant Colonel George Crook, who had been placed in command of Arizona Territory. Crook was an experienced fighter who the Apaches called Nantan Lipon, which meant Chief Wolf. The War Department sidelined Crook in favor of a diplomatic solution. It sent a peace commissioner to speak with Cochise. The commissioner was a humanitarian and wanted to accommodate the Apache. He promised Cochise that his people could stay on the lands they had fled weeks ago. At their meeting, Cochise considered the proposition. But before deciding, he wanted to consult with his captains. They were out making a living, as Cochise described raiding. Runners went out to retrieve the men who returned one by one to speak with Cochise. After the councils, Cochise agreed to stay on the reservation. The white man and the Indian are to drink of the same water, eat of the same bread, and be at peace, Cochise said. Two years after the agreement, Cochise passed away, probably of stomach cancer. His band celebrated him and painted his body before lowering him to rest. As always, the peace that Cochise spoke of didn't last. Conditions on a different reservation, the infamous San Carlos Reservation, grew oppressive. A new leader took his people in search of a better home, and the search led to war. Next time on Legends of the Old West, Victorio, chief of the Chihini Apache, leads his people off the San Carlos Reservation. War breaks out in the Southwest, and a daring campaign ends in a place called Trace Castillos. That's next week on Legends of the Old West. This season was researched and written by Jason Strykowski. Script editing by Christopher Markakis. Audio editing and sound design by Dave Harrison. I'm your co-writer, host, and producer, Chris Wimmer. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. 
Check out our website, Black Barrel Media, for more details. And join us on social media. We're at Old West Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big